Well, good morning. If you've ever wondered why I always come in late, I just want to share that with you this morning because you're probably like, why is the pastor like always miss the first song? Well, if you're a guest or even if you're not, we have two services running at the same time this morning. So I go over there and do the welcome in the other service while somebody else does the welcome in this service. So that's why I'm always late, just in case you've always wondered that. So we're in this series, How You Doing? And if you notice the subtitle up there this morning, it says, How You Doing? Not That Great. Well, I just want you to know that not that great is not like a description of the sermon this morning. Okay, I just want to kind of get that out of the way now. That, that's not a descriptor of this morning's sermon. So we've been in this series talking about emotions and talking about feelings, you know, how are you doing? And uh, one of the things that we've been doing each week is I've been kind of going back in my collective memory bank and, and just sharing about different crummy cars that I have, just, you know, I guess to make you feel sorry for me or something. And so this morning we're going to talk a little bit about sadness, like how are you doing? Not that great. I'm, I'm, I'm just a little bit down today. And so I, I went back and I was thinking, what car did I own that just reminded me of sadness? Well, it goes back to high school. It was a 1968 pearl white Firebird. I mean, that car was an incredible car. I, I bought it and it didn't run and I did a lot of work to it, enjoyed tinkering with cars and stuff. And, and for you car gurus, it had a small block 400 on, in it and I put a big old Holly carburetor on it, had electric fuel pump, which was not that common back in those days. It, I had a cam in it, I had headers on it. It had the awesomeness of cherry bombs that exited in front of the rear tires. So like you go down the road and it was like... I don't even know if that kind of stuff is legal anymore, but it was a lot of fun. It had 60s on the back, narrow tires on the front, chrome rims. It was fast. It was made to drive. My mom didn't want me to have the car because she said it was too fast, and she was afraid that I was going to hurt myself. Luckily for me, my dad kind of understood that kind of thing, and so it sounded fast. It was fast. The paint job was just absolutely beautiful. When Renee and I started dating, I had that car, and uh, so we were going on a date. It was early on in our dating. Uh, my wife, Renee, we were high school sweethearts, and so, um, you know, I was trying to, we were, we were going after church, going on this date, and I had to take my little brother home first. And um, so we're headed to my house, and, you know, I'm kind of showing off a little bit, so I come around a corner and just kind of accelerate enough just to kind of make it fishtail a little bit, you know what I'm talking about. And my brother, for some reason, didn't have his seatbelt on. And he goes sliding across the seat, hits his head on the window crank right here, and it starts bleeding in his eyebrow. And I knew, you know, my mom didn't want me to have that car to start with. I'm like, oh, no. And I start bribing him and using a little big brother persuasion, if you understand what I'm talking about. And he promised me that he wouldn't tell mom after he took my bribes. 
And then I think he went, as soon as he got in the house, he spilled the beans, and I got in a lot of trouble later. But what a great car. Pastor, I thought you were going to talk about sadness. What about that car spells sadness? I mean, that car looks awesome. What, what, what are you talking about? How could you be sad driving that? Well, see, eventually, you know, I graduate from high school, right? And as awesome as that car was, it got absolutely terrible gas mileage. I mean, like eight miles to the gallon kind of gas mileage. Like literally, like if you floored the gas pedal, it would be like a race between the gas gauge and the speedometer to see which one was going to kind of win. And uh, so when I graduated from high school, I'm going to be going to a college that's like 600 miles away. And I mean, gas prices are through the roof. I mean, who would pay 78 cents a gallon for gas, right? I mean, who would pay that? So I went from driving the 1968 beautiful, gorgeous, fast Firebird to driving this next picture. That's what sadness looks like, folks. 1971 Ford Green Pinto that I told you about last week was the car of anxiety because you never knew if somebody's going to hit the back of it and it would explode. That is sadness. Like I went from beautiful Firebird to that thing. I never thought I would get there. So when I went off to college, I kept the Firebird and my dad promised me that, that he would drive it. And he didn't. Like, he didn't even drive it one time. Like, when I came home, like, like you know how, like, if you have a car parked on the street and the rain and all that and all the dead grass and stuff just kind of keeps piling up on the wheels? Well, that's the way it was when I, when I came home. He never drove it one time. He said it was too loud, and he was, like, embarrassed to drive it. I'm like, really? You kidding me? That's the coolest car ever, Dad, but it wasn't to him. But um, so anyway, and a lot of times when I was a, a teenager and a young adult, I didn't listen to my dad like I should have. But this time I did listen. He said, you know, son, if you sold that car, it'd give you a lot of tuition money. And uh, so I sold it after my first year of college. That was a sad, sad day. I'd like to have that car back today. I mean, how cool would that car be to have today? Sadness is a real emotion. And we're going to talk about that today. And as we've kind of said in this series, emotions are not wrong. I mean, it doesn't matter if the emotion is shame or anxiety or stress or what we're going to talk about this morning, sadness. The emotion's not wrong. It's, it's where does that emotion take us? And we've kind of used that, that kind of picture of the, of the sign there, like when you have sadness in your life or you have some other emotion, God creates these emotions in us to bring us closer to him and to make us more mature. And we kind of have a choice. We can let an emotion, like week, uh, week number two, I think we talked about shame. And we said shame can take you to a place of, of isolation or shame can take you to a place of freedom and grace in, in the Lord. And so we've talked about it's where the emotion takes you because God made us to be emotional people. So the question this morning is, where will sadness take you? 
I can tell you with the, with the, 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 the green little Ford Pinto gas miser versus the, the Firebird experience. I mean, like when that first happened, like sometimes I would be like, you know, when you drive 600 miles to school one way, you know, you have a lot of thinking time when you're by yourself. And, and just like these irrational thoughts would flow through my mind sometimes about my car. Like I'm sitting behind that little pin, you know, going down the interstate. And, uh, you know, like, man, man, it's not fair that my parents don't make enough money where I don't have to, you know, that I have to sell my really nice car to, to pay tuition. And, you know, you just kind of start having those kinds of thoughts. And if you're not careful, it can, can lead to, to bitterness. And I'm having these thoughts like, I'm never going to have a cool car again. Like, I'm, an, I'm a college student. College students can't afford to, you know, to buy, you know, the really cool cars. And when I get out of school, you know, hopefully I'll land on a church staff somewhere. And they're not going to pay me enough to have a, a cool car, right? And, uh, and then I'm like, and then at some point, you know, I'm going to get a little bit mature. And I'm going to have kids. And then I'll just have to get something, like, practical. You know what practical look like? I've had four. Four minivans. There is nothing cool about minivans. I've had four of them. I've still got two of them, I hate to say it. And, and, and you know, you, and then I'm thinking, like, you know, maybe someday I'll be a pastor, and you can't get a, a sports car when you're a pastor because then people will judge you. Like, some of you have seen my little Miata, and somebody, a church member, came up to me one day, and they were being mean. They're like, well, how did you get $40,000 to pay for that Miata? $40,000 is a 1994. Paid less than $3,000 for that car. But, you know, you just kind of start having those irrational thoughts sometimes when you start experiencing sadness. And, you know, I'm like, I'm never going to have a cool car again. And you can get a little bit hopeless and a little bit bitter. And, and maybe you start feeling a little bit lonely when sadness comes in your life. Like, again, talking about the car. Here's the thing about the Firebird. Everybody wanted to ride in the Firebird. Like, we're going out to church and, you know, we're going out to eat after church. And everybody's like, hey, can I ride with you? Guess what? Nobody was asking to ride in the Pinto. Like, that wasn't happening. I don't know if they were afraid it was going to catch on fire and they'd get roasted or what, but, but nobody was like, hey, can you, go, can you take us over to the burger place today? Not happening. So we've been talking about these emotions. And sometimes sadness is created by you had something really good and then you lost it and then there are other reasons that, that sadness comes on. And we're going to talk about those in a few minutes, but... You know, if you ask me, like if, if you just came up to me like before I preached this sermon maybe a couple weeks ago or a month ago and you said, Dennis, do you struggle with sadness? Is that like a, a thing for you? And I think I'd probably answer like a lot of you in this room and like especially a lot of the men. No, I don't struggle with sadness. I don't think I'd call it that. But if I kind of thought about it a little bit, and maybe if you kind of think about it, and you're, if you're kind of honest with yourself, maybe you would say, maybe admit, like, yeah, there are those days that, yeah, I don't feel that great, and things aren't going that good. And, yeah, I, I don't know, like, I would call it that, but, but, but yeah. I just maybe never, I, I, I thought I'd be in this, this, this moment in life. And that happens to us sometimes. And so I just kind of started creating a list in my mind of, of, of moments in my life, perhaps, and I'm not going to get too, too serious, and I'll start with the kind of lighthearted, but things that can, that can bring sadness. Like, like I mentioned the Firebird, right? Like went from a Firebird to a Pinto 
and, 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 and like, you know, I found myself saying this one day. I mean, this is how sad things got. Like, I was driving one of the minivans, and I looked at my wife, Renee, and I said, man, this handle's pretty good. Like, how sad is that for a car guy, right? <laughs> I mean, like, that's, that's where I ended up, like, and, you know, like, like I used to, like, like, well into my 40s and 50s, and I don't know about you, but even into my early 50s, I could eat anything I wanted, just pretty much. And I worked out, and I still work out six days a week, but it doesn't seem to have the same effect that it used to. And, and like now, like, like I can just look at ice cream and five pounds, and it goes right here. Like I can't even decide where it goes. It just goes right there, you know? Or like you're sitting at the, at the supper table with your kids, and, and like one of them goes, Hey, Dad, you're getting a lot of gray hairs. Like, what? And then the other's like, yeah, Dad, you're getting a lot of gray hairs. And I, I've tried to convince them that they're blonde highlights, but, but they're not buying that anymore as they get older. And, and it's just like that realization that sometimes brings sadness in your life when you realize that you're, you're getting older and you're not quite who you used to be so much. Or maybe a little more on a serious note, like, you know, when I was much younger, I was a, a very idealistic person. You know, you get out of school, I'm going to change the world. I'm, I'm going to share Jesus with people. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. I'm going to disciple people. I'm going to invest in people. I'm going to pour into people. I'm going to get close to people in Christ. And, I, and I'm going to make a difference. And I want to have these incredible relationships with people in Jesus Christ. I want to connect with people. And let me be honest with you. There has been lots and lots of that but if i'm being completely honest there have been moments that i never thought would happen there was a relationship where you're discipling somebody and 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 you're close and then something happens and it and it just it just goes away you 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 can't even explain it maybe they get upset or whatever something happens and the relationship couldn't be saved. And you know, in, in ministry, and some of you have experienced this in different parts in life, or maybe in ministry, when you pour into people and you pour into people, and, 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 and most of the time great things happen, but sometimes hurtful things happen. And, and you just kind of step back a little bit sometimes, and, and you just want to say, I don't know if I want to put myself out there again like that. And 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 and. You know, just to be honest with you, I'm, I'm being straightforward, honest. Church people can be incredibly mean sometimes. And you get hurt, and you get jaded, and sometimes your enthusiasm goes away, and it's easy to become bitter, and sometimes it's easy to, to kind of get hopeless. Why am I even doing this? I'm not making any difference. I mean, that's what happens when you get down on yourself, and you get sad, and you get lonely, and that, and that bitterness starts to come in. And then maybe you think, well, I'm just going to be the Lone Ranger. But then you kind of get lonely, and, and that doesn't work out so good. Or maybe you've had this experience. You're sad because, like, like, you walk into a, a hospital, or you walk into a funeral home, and somebody's hurting. Maybe, maybe it's the hospital, and, and, and they don't know if the person's going to live or die. And, and, and this happens to me. And you desperately, or I desperately, want to be able to fix it. I want to help the person in the bed, and I want to help the family. But there's nothing you can do about it. And it just leaves you with this feeling of sadness. 
And so if you ask me, Dennis, do you deal with sadness? I probably wouldn't hesitate to say no. But the truth is probably we all do. Maybe we just don't call it that. So would I say that I struggle? I don't think I'd say it like that. But if you asked me that question and God kind of leaned over a little bit into my ear and said, you know what, Dennis, you, you do. It's called sadness. And I think we all experience that. So we've all been in those places. Maybe you've had great friends. I mean, great friends. And then something happened. It was them, it was you, whatever it was. The relationship couldn't be salvaged. Somebody you loved that you had a rich relationship with. Maybe some of you in this room, you'd say, you know what, I had a, I had a great family. I had a great marriage. You know, kids were wonderful. Parenting went fine. I had my dream job. And it just fell apart. And you sat there and you watched them make choices. And you don't even know why they made those choices. And you knew they weren't godly choices. And, 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 and you were trying to talk to them, but, but it didn't work. And now you're just in this place and you're sad about it. If you had a great marriage, maybe you had a great job, you had it all. An incredibly good season in life. And now it's gone. And you're not sure you're ever going to get it back again. That is sadness. So today, we're going to go back to David. And we've said in this series that we're just going to kind of keep looking at David because this is this guy that just kind of shares his emotions. God once described David as, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. That word heart, have you ever thought about this? It means the center place of emotion and passion. So when God was looking for a king to lead his nation, he picked somebody like David because he wanted somebody that would share emotion. He wanted somebody that wouldn't turn off the emotion like so many of us do. He wanted somebody that would share them and wasn't afraid of his emotions. So David writes 73 of the 150 Psalms and he doesn't hold back. And sometimes like we talked about last week, Man, it, it almost makes you uncomfortable. Like he says things about God or to God sometimes, and you're like, can you say things like that to God? Or he says things about other people, and you're like, is it okay to do that? Or he says things about himself, and you're like, whoa, that's too much. That's too close. Those are things that we kind of hold close to our vest. But you know what David does? He has this ability to kind of see through the mask and see through the put-together outfits and just be real and get to the heart. You know, we tend to put on the outfits and the mask and we want everybody to think everything's cool and great. David just kind of cuts through that. And I'm telling you, you can call him messed up. You can call him over-emotional if you want to. But you know what I think God calls him? He calls him human. Now let's think about David for a second. David comes out of the gates like a rising star. I mean, that's how he starts. I mean, I don't know there's that many people that have started like David started. Like he's this shepherd boy and, and one of the greatest prophets ever shows up. He's Samuel and he's looking for a king and he interviews like David's older brothers and, and, and 
you know, God keeps telling them, nope, nope, it's not this guy. And finally they bring in David kind of as an afterthought. And now Samuel begins to say, yep, this is the guy. And he begins to interview him. And he says, God has great plans for you. And God's going to use you to lead this country. And, and you've got a palace in your future. Which, by the way, if you're a little brother and he's saying all that in front of your big brothers, that's like awesome. And so he's doing all this, and, and so David just kind of takes off early in life, and, and you read about him, and everything kind of supports. David is just on this upward trend. He's, a, he's an up-and-comer. I mean, he kills a bear, like, like right off the bat. Like, who does that? He kills a lion. Like, who does that? He kills a giant. Nobody does that. He has this an incredibly rich relationship with this friend, Jonathan. He becomes a great military leader. The king says, here, take my daughter's hand in marriage. And so David just starts out so well. It doesn't get much better than the way David started. Then what happens? Rising star. Launching off the pad. <whistles> Crash. And it just all comes apart. The king that once honored him was trying to kill him. His friendship with Jonathan was cut off. The king actually took his daughter back and gave her to another man. And so as we look at Psalms chapter 142 this morning, we look at the man David and one of the toughest times of his life. He's just having this very honest conversation which was literally written from a cave. I mean, is there a place that might be more sad than living in a cave? So that's the picture. Here's David. He had influence. He's a rising star. He was going places. He had fame. Everybody knew who he was. And then all at once, everybody is hunting him. His wife is gone. His friends are gone. His affluence was gone. His influence was gone. And there is no place in David's story in his life when you read it that he seems to be further from the king's palace. And I guarantee you, I don't think David ever thought he would be at this place. It was all in his hand. And now it's gone. He had the ability that every single man wanted. But now every single man feels sorry for him. Which brings me to my first point this morning as we begin to look at Psalms chapter 142. When you are in the cave, you can become frustrated and disgruntled with God. And you know what? That's okay. It's okay to complain to God. You see it in Scripture, not just David. It's okay to have a beef with God. His shoulders are big enough to handle our complaints and our beefs. It's okay to complain. Sometimes that's where the cave of sadness takes us, and we become complaining, and we're disgruntled, and we're frustrated with God. Listen to what he says in verse 1. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. 
David is saying this, God, why in the world would you let this stuff happen to me? That ever happened in your life? Like you just look at God and go, God, why are you letting this happen? God, I, I, I had this great job and I was going to church and I was serving and I was tithing and I was, I was ministering to people. Why did you take that job away from me? And my whole family's suffering. God, why would you allow cancer in? Why would, why would you do that? Why would you let us struggle for so long? Why did you let that relationship go away? God, I worked so hard to try to get in that college and it didn't happen. Come on, God, what's going on? God, why do you let me struggle with depression? And that's okay to say these things. It, it, it's quite all right. And sometimes we think, you know, God, I was headed for a palace. What happened? God, I thought when you were with me, these challenges wouldn't be here. God, I never thought we'd land in a cave. That's part of the reason that I came to you to start with. God, I got some complaints. I'm in a bad spot. And that's what David says. And as you look at this, this sadness brings on some other things in David's life that I'm just going to kind of refer to as caves this morning. One was a cave of hopelessness. You look at verse 3. Then my spirit grows faint within me. It is you who watch over my way. And the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. This is God. Not only do, do I have complaints, he's like, like my spirit. It, it, God, I'm just so beat up. I, 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 I'm just about ready to faint. I, I'm physically exhausted. And God, people, they're waiting for me. Even if I get out of this mess and go down the path, there are people waiting with traps for me, snares for me. You ever felt like that? Like you get out of one cave and you just fall into another one? Like, like you get one crisis behind you and, and pretty soon another one pops up? And, and it's just like, like they're traps and, and you just kind of get to the point where you're just wondering what's the use? Is, am I ever going to get out of this? It's never going to happen. So he kind of talks about that cave. He talks about the cave of loneliness in verse 4. He says, look and see. There's no one at my right hand. There is no one that is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. You know what he's saying? Did you notice all the no ones here? No one at my right hand. No one concerned for me. No refuge, like I have no safe place. No one cares for my life. He's like, you know what, God? Nobody cares if I live or die. And that's what the cave says sometimes. There's no one that really knows you. There's no one that really cares about you. No one that really understands what you've lost. There's no one that will stick up for you. No one that even notices that, that you're in a bad spot. That's the cave that David was in. Do you like living in a cave? Do you like living in sadness? I doubt it. I don't know anybody that really wants to be sad. Anybody in here besides me, like, raise your hand. You hate sad movies? 
Like, just stick your hand up if you hate sad movies. Thank you. I'm not alone in here. Like, I despise sad movies. Like, sometimes my wife, you know, sometimes we call them chick flicks or whatever. She's like, hey, let's go see this movie, you know. It's, it's like really emotional and we might cry. Like, no. Like, why would I want to do that? Right? Like, I remember, like, kind of the first time she kind of blindsided me and this happened. It was that movie Beaches. Anybody remember that movie Beaches? Yeah, I mean, like, it's incredibly sad. Like, this, this is about these two ladies, and one of them is dying of cancer. And, and when she dies, the other one's going to take her child. I mean, like, it's terrible. Like, right? And, like, it's, it's sad, sad. And you walk out of there, and it's like, I paid for this? Like, we're not doing that. Like, that's, that's just terrible. Life is sad enough without, you know, depressing, sad movies. And so some of you, like me, maybe you avoid sad movies, and, 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 you're, and, you, and you're just trying to avoid sadness in general. And so you avoid sad people, too, because you're, you're not trying to be mean. You just don't like being around them. And that's what we do sometimes. We try to overcome our sadness with other things. We'll avoid sad people. We'll avoid sad movies. And we try to cover up things. Maybe, maybe our marriage isn't what we want it to be. And we're like, well, you know, I'll just, I'll just pretend it's not. I'll pretend everything's okay. And we just ignore it. Or maybe it's, it's a parenting thing and you don't have the relationship with your kids. And you're just like, I'll just pretend everything's okay. And I'm not really happy about that job. It's not my dream job, but I'll just pretend everything's okay. And, and, and so here's what I'm going to do. You know, I'm just going to pretend. I'm going to try to not have to think about that stuff. So I'm going to go down in the basement. I'm going to throw some paint up on the walls. I'm going to get some really nice couches, throw some TVs on the wall, and uh, maybe get some trophies of like one of my teams that I like actually really won. All you University of Tennessee fans, that's what you can do. And Just kidding. Just kidding. Falcons fans, how about that? And, 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 and we're just going to pretend that everything's okay. And, 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 you know, when you come down in the man cave, like, like you're not allowed to, uh, to talk negative or sad things, you know. You, you're not allowed to do that. And if you're going to start talking sad things, then you can go out on the deck. And, uh, and ladies, I desperately wanted to give you a, a pass on this, but, but you do the same thing. I think it's called a she shed, right? And you, you do one of the same. Well, let's be honest. You guys get the rest of the house, right? And, you know, you, you like, you, you cannot, you're not fooling anybody. I mean, you can only put up so much shiplap siding, and you can have all those little boutique candles all over the place, and, and those little lamps that kind of replicate themselves, and all these pillows and that kind of stuff. Sadness anymore. And some people do it through addictions. Well, I'll just take alcohol and forget about it. I'll pop some pills or whatever. You know what I love about David? David hit stuff head on. He didn't avoid the cave, but listen, he didn't make it his home. He didn't avoid it, but he didn't make his home in the cave. And in one of his darkest moments, and I, and I don't know what caused him to recognize this, and I think it's something a lot of us don't ever recognize, he just, at some point, recognizes that, that God is not surprised that I'm in the cave. And not only is God not surprised, I'm not in the cave by myself. 
And I believe that's what made a difference in David's life, which leads me to the second thing this morning. When you are in the cave, you can find God's presence. Listen to the language as we start into verse 5. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Lord, I cry to you. That's strong, real stuff. Have you ever kind of gotten down on your knees and just really told God what was going on in your life? What was bringing about the sadness? God, I I cry out to you. He continues in verse 6. He's pleading with God. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. God, I'm desperate. I'm not in a good spot, God. These people that are after me, they're trying to kill him. Saul and his men are trying to kill David. He says, they're too strong for me. You ever just get like like sadness and you're like, God, it's just too much. I I can't do this anymore. God, this, this loneliness is just taking me over. It's too strong. God, it's hopeless. I just don't know what to do anymore, God. That's where David's at. He goes on in verse 7. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. He says, God, get me out of this prison of my emotions. Get me out of it. And I think David found what so many of us miss. And that is God's power and his peace and his kindness and his voice and his answer to real life, not just our box Sunday school questions, but God has the answer to real life. And I also think David understood something else that we never feel God's presence more than when we are raw with Him, with God, and we are undistracted, when we simply tell Him the way that that we really feel. Sometimes we want to run from Him. But that wasn't what David did. He pleaded with God. And I think that the more honest we are with God, the more we can sense God's presence when we're in the cave. And that shifts our perspective. And the third thing you notice, when we are in a cave, we find rich relationships. Verse 7, notice the end of that. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to him. David found some incredibly rich relationships. He he kind of alludes to that at the end of verse 7. And of course, we know the the rich relationship that he had with God. And if you look in some other passages of Scripture, you see those rich relationships that he's talking about. For about a decade, Saul has been hunting him down and, and trying to kill him. And he actually writes this story and is a cave, as I mentioned to you earlier. But this is a very specific cave, and we read about what that cave was in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, where it reads, David left Gath, and he escaped to the cave 
of Adolam. And that's where he's writing. This is where he's writing now. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, he says they went down to him. They responded to him there. All of those who were in distress or in doubt or discontented gathered around him. And he became their commander. And about 400 men, not counting women, were with him. This is why this is important. This is extremely important. David was not lonely because no one was around. There were lots of people around David. David was lonely because he was not walking in the depth of the relationships he wanted. Loneliness is not the absence of faces. Loneliness is not the absence of people. It's the absence of intimacy. It's the absence of authentic relationships. It's the absence of being known. And when you have real relationships, you find intimacy. You know, some of my best relationships, deepest relationships, have been when I was in a cave and somebody jumped in with me. Or when somebody else was in a cave and I jumped in with them. That's when some of the best relationships that I've ever had happen. Khalili Gilbrand, he's a philosopher, he says this, it's, it's, it really fits this morning. The deeper the sorrow carves into the, your being, the more joy you can contain. And I just want to encourage you, in those cave moments, some really good things can happen. You know, when you look at David's story, when you and I look at it, we see him in the cave, but we know what's coming. A palace is coming for David. But David doesn't know that. He's stuck in a cave, and he feels like he's the only one. But you fast forward that story later, and there's going to be three men in a cave with him that are willing to give their life for him. And later, he's going to move to a palace. God saw the victory that was down the road. And I don't know who's in a cave today. But I think as believers, when we walk the path together, I think it's helpful to remind each other in our cave moments that there is a game changer. We can only see the walls of the cave. But there's this thing called the cross. And Jesus' life was laid down for us. And they took him down off of a cross and they put burial clothes on him and prepared him. There was a funeral procession. And then they, what did they put him in? They basically put him in a cave. A hand-hewed, freshly made cave. And for three days, it was one of the darkest, saddest caves that there's probably ever been on this earth. But you know the story. The cave of defeat, the cave of sadness became a cave of what? victory and i'm here to remind you of that when you're in the cave maybe you're trying to dress it up maybe you're trying to pretend it's not there maybe you've been trying to avoid it maybe you're running from it but i just want to remind you today if you're walking in sadness no matter what you call it you're walking in loneliness you're walking in bitterness you're you're walking in hopelessness 
The same God that raised his son from the, from the grave, that same power is available to you. And he loves you and he wants to meet you. Now let's be honest. Victory in Christ does not mean that there's not going to be any troubles in your life. It doesn't mean necessarily that your old life is going to come back. This is not, you know, praise it and claim it kind of thing. I'm not talking about prosperity theology. But I'm just talking about the fact that God will meet you in the cave and, and other people will meet you in the cave. That God loves you and cares about you. Nobody's happy when they're in a cave. I understand that. But understand that God is with you. And I want to end our service a little bit different this morning. Here's what I want to ask you to do. It's not what we usually do here. But I want to ask everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. Just bow your head, close your eyes. Nobody's looking around. And I'm going to ask you to do something today. Because I want to be specific. And I don't know what's going on in your life, but... Maybe there's a loss in your life. Maybe it was a dream. Maybe it was an ideal. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe you're dealing with bitterness. Maybe you're dealing with hopelessness. Maybe you're dealing with loneliness, sadness, whatever it is. I want to just ask you this morning to raise your hand. And I'm not going to call on you or anything. Just raise your hand and you can put it back down. That, that you're in a cave this morning, something, just, just stick your hand up and put it back down. Because I just want to pray for you. Thank you. Lots of hands. Would you pray with me? Father, I just pray today for your power and your grace. I pray that you'll meet your people, your sons and your daughters in their caves. And Father, I just pray that people would experience a touch of your power and experience that grace. And Father, when we're in that cave, and Father, we don't feel like it. We don't feel like you're there. And we're frustrated and we're grumpy and, and we're complaining. Father, help us not to just stop there. Help us to keep looking for you. Because, Father, you're not, you haven't abandoned us. It may feel like it, but you're there. Father, help us to keep looking. And, Father, just, just meet us where we are in that loneliness or that hopelessness, that I, I, things aren't getting better, bitterness, I don't know why I do this anymore, whatever it is, God. Sadness that just overwhelms us sometimes as, as, as we lose things in our lives. Father, just meet us there. Remind us of, of who you are. Father, help us just not to see the cave walls, but help us to see you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ.